Before we continue our study in John, I would like to go ahead and pray for us and get us started for tonight. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. First of all, I thank you for each person that is here with us on this Zoom. I, I pray that you would speak to them directly, Lord, that you would that you would be with us all, wherever we are, whether we're sitting um, in Texas or uh, uh, in Washington State or wherever we are, Lord, I pray that you would be with us, that you would um, make yourself known to us, that we would hear your voice clearly. And Lord, I pray that we would really understand what it is you have to say to us tonight. There's a reason that this passage is the most quoted passage from your entire word. There's a reason. And, and Lord, I pray that you would help each of us to understand that and share that with those whom we love. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. All right. So <clears throat> I want to, um, to give you uh, a little heads up um, before we kind of get into the, the verses. But first, I want to tell you a quick story. I love this story. So if you see the screen right now, you see a picture of Bill Murray. And most of you know, this is a uh, this is one of his most famous roles in the movie uh, Caddyshack. And I, I picked that one because uh, I know uh, a lot of you are familiar with his face and would remember this character he played. Well, uh, there's, a, there's a guy, and I mean just a guy, a guy named Wes Hegelson, who went into a Wendy's one day, and he sits down to eat his food, and he's got his fries and his Frosty and his burger sitting in front of him, and Bill Murray walks over to his table, sits down across the table from him. And the guy's speechless. He's like, Bill Murray just sat down in front of me. And Bill Murray reaches over, takes one of the guy's French fries, dips it in his Frosty, and eats it. And then looks at him and says, nobody's going to believe you. Gets up and walks away. And I thought, what a great story because I, do you believe him? I'm not sure I believe him. Um, I think it would be consistent with what little bit I know about Bill Murray, but why would you believe someone who told you that story? It's pretty unbelievable, right? So I think that plays well into what we're going to look at tonight, which is a story about a man who was really struggling to believe what he was hearing. So we're going we're gonna to be in John chapter 3. We're going to go through verses 9 through 21. But before we do that, I want to remind you about John 3, 1 through 8, because this is a continuation of the same story. So in verses 1 through 8, we learned that there was a, a Jewish leader named Nicodemus. He was a Pharisee, um, and he had come to Jesus in the nighttime, like under the cover of darkness, because he had questions for Jesus. He was trying to figure out whether Jesus really was who he said he was. And so he came, he came at night and he had his conversation with Jesus. And Jesus tells him, look, if you want to get to heaven, you've got to be born again. And Nicodemus is really struggling with this whole idea of what in the world does that mean? Do we go back inside our mother and, and get born again? And, and so that's where the story kind of leaves off when we jump into 
verse nine. And we'll, I'll start now from there. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the son of man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. All right. <clears throat> so there are some really good lessons that come out of this little section of scripture. And the first one I think we need to be aware of is that we cannot assume that just because someone is smart or educated or has been to a seminary, a school, a whatever, um, or even someone just because they go to church on Sunday, that does not mean that they understand spiritual things. Okay, just because someone's smart or educated does not mean that they understand spiritual things. The second thing um, I wanted to get to is, if you ever wonder, why did Jesus come to earth when he came? Why not now? Why not a thousand years ago? Why not 3,000 years ago? Why did he come to earth at this time? Well, I think this story is a fantastic illustration of why Jesus chose, or God chose, this particular moment in the history of the world to send his son to show up because here you've got a leader in the church nicodemus was a high-ranking leader inside the jewish um, leadership he was a teacher here in verse 10 jesus says you're israel's teacher in other words you're supposed to be teaching the jews who I, who God is and, and what that means and how to live their lives, right? So here you have a leader in the church and a good-hearted one at that. One thing we know about Nicodemus was um, he was searching for the truth. He was not blinded by power like many of them were. He was not blinded um, by his own pride or things like that. <clears throat> Nicodemus was searching for the truth and was open to the truth and was a good hearted man. So here we have a leader in the church who's a good hearted leader in the church and he's totally de devoid of understanding about the heart of God. They had gone, they, the Jews, had gone for about 400 years without hearing from God. They were lost as lost could be. And it was time for God to send his son because they desperately needed Jesus at this point in history. They really, really needed to hear from God. All right, so lesson number three, when you take these two, two lessons we just talked about and put them in context with one another, we should not be surprised when we see today's church leaders who are devoid of understanding. Remember I said that um, just because someone goes to church on Sunday doesn't mean they should necessarily understand. Well, we also should not be surprised when 
those who lead our church today do not have spiritual understanding. So I'm going to give you an example right now. There is a there is a pastor who's been in the news lately who happens to be pro-choice. Now I'm talking about pastors here, those who should know. I'm not talking about a new believer. I'm not talking about someone who's still learning about God. I'm talking about someone who should be very much in touch with God's word. Um, and this pastor is pro-choice. So the truth is that a pastor and being pro-choice, those two things aren't reconcilable. They can't coexist um, because scripture is incredibly clear on this particular subject, right? It would be similar for, um, is Jesus the only way to get to heaven? Okay, that's a very, very clear point in the Bible. Over and over, it makes it clear. So if uh, someone were to be a pastor, they should understand that. Unfortunately, that's not always true. Okay? Um, and I want to, on that note, chase, chase a quick little rabbit with you. Um, because the test of a man's heart for God is not found in his or her eloquence or persuasiveness. It doesn't matter how well we speak, how, how persuasive we are, how we can get people moving. That's not what tests our heart. A man's heart is proved when his or her words line up with God's word. Then and only then can we bear good fruit. Can we do good things? Right. First, we must agree with God. And that's kind of what's happening here with Nicodemus and Jesus having this conversation. Jesus is trying to help Nicodemus to understand you've got to get on the same page with God before you worry about anything else. Okay. So <clears throat> I, this is a question I want you to think about. This is, if you want to type in the chat, you are, you are certainly welcome to do so, but you don't have to. Is there anything in the Word of God that's contrary to your belief system? So I already mentioned one, and it's an inflammatory one. It's one that people get upset about. It's abortion, right? Is there anything like that in the Word of God that you struggle with that's hard for you to deal with? I just want you to think about that. Is there, any, is there anything in the Word of God that's just simply contrary to your own beliefs, and you're not sure quite what to do about it? And the next question I would have is, have you prayed to God about that disagreement? Have you taken the disconnect to God himself and said, hey, God, man, I am struggling with this. Help me understand your point of view. Have you done that? Have you had that prayer with God? Because ultimately, you're going to have to decide whether man is right or God is right. We all have to make those choices about all of these things where our culture and the word of God don't line up. And there's plenty of them, especially right now. There are so many things happening in the world. And there, by the way, there always has been and there always will be. Okay. There will always be a, a divide between culture and the word. So ultimately, you're going to have to decide is man right or is God right about each of these particular issues? Uh, and 
and this is really important, really, really, really important. Um, so I hope that you'll listen to what I'm about to tell you. God expects for you to listen to his testimony over the testimony of all other people and all other beings. Now, sometimes that testimony comes from uh, people who God has put it on their heart to speak to us through the prophets, for example, that are recorded in the Bible, through this passage that's recorded in the Bible, through the disciples, through those prophets who still exist on earth today, God speaks to us through people, including his son Jesus, including the prophets. And the lesson really is, is quite simple. And the lesson is, and what God is saying is, look, what God says, what I say is true. If any man says anything contrary to the word of God, then what that person says is false. Regardless of whether it's error or lies, if it's in contradiction to the word of God, it can't be true, period. That's what God is telling you. And that's what, that's what he's saying here in verses 11 and 12. He says, very truly, I tell you, and again, very truly there means, hey, pay attention, I'm trying to get your attention right now. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know. We, me, the, the prophets, the apostles, we've been going around, we've been talking to you. We speak of what we know, and we testify, we tell you about what we've seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. So that lesson, if we don't take anything else from this section of scripture, that one is so important. Um, and I want you to imagine, you know, we just came out, obviously, of a, of a very uh, turbulent political season. Um, so I want you to imagine a political debate, okay? And in one podium is Jesus. And in another podium is a politician, a somebody, right? Um, and, you know, the cameras, there's the guy in the little seat in the front and all the, the light bulbs going off. And, and, the, and the camera homes in on Jesus. And he said, okay, Jesus, you can start us out. And Jesus says, God created the heavens and the earth. And then the camera pans to the politician and he says, actually, sir, we have consensus from thousands of scientists from every industrialized nation on earth that say that there is no God and that our planet was the result of the big bang. And who are you to say otherwise? And the camera pans back to Jesus who just leans forward and says, uh, I'm God. Mic drop, debate over, right? It's done. That's how Jesus wants us to see his testimony. If he says this is true, then he will hold us to the standard of us believing him. Okay, I hope that makes sense. I hope that I articulated that in a way that made sense. But that's, I believe, exactly what Jesus is saying here. All right, so let's go ahead. Uh, and I want to move forward into, again, now we're, we're about to come into the, the part of scripture. Like I said, this is... I mean, I don't have any evidence to back this up right now, but I'm pretty confident when I say this is the most quoted verse in all of Scripture. 
it certainly is an incredibly important verse. In fact, if if you've ever watched a football game, like I don't know, I think I I think I've I started watching football when I about well almost fifty years ago, and there's always at least one guy, usually a guy with no shirt on, um, standing up with a sign that says John three sixteen. And this uh, next verse we're going to read is John 3.16, and we're going to read through verse 21. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly what they have done has been done in the sight of God. All right. Really important point right off the bat here. God loves the world. God loves everybody in the world. Every human being that's ever been born, ever set foot, ever taken a breath, even those who have not, every human being that's ever existed, God loved them and loves them today. If you're still alive, God loves you. All right. Not just those who come to faith, not just those who do his will, even those who are lost, even those who are terribly lost doing terrible things, God loves them. And he is so compelled, he is so driven, he is so passionate about his love for us that he would send his son to die for us. Now, I think we have to back up just for a second and put that in perspective. Um, I know not everyone, I'm trying to, trying to pull up the, the little list here, I know not everyone on the call or everyone on the Zoom has children, but most of you do. The idea that anyone would give their child for anyone else is amazing all by itself. But for God to give his son, not just for good people, not for people who are doing the right things, but he would send his son so that none would perish. He would send his son for the bad people because we're the bad people. We're all broken. We're all sinners. We all were enemies of God at one time. Some of us still are. And he sent his son for us anyways. I think this is one of the reasons this verse is so widely quoted um, it illustrates a love that most of us, quite frankly, can't really fathom. Um, there are many people on this Zoom that I love. 
Um, I'll be honest. If I were God, I can't imagine myself sending one of my children for you. I wish I felt different. Now, I'll be honest. I would give myself way more, way more quickly than I would give my child. So this is an amazing, amazing passage. Um, so the first thing I want to make sure that we clearly understand is God loves everyone. He loves everyone on this, in this world, and he loves you so passionately that he would send his son for you. Now, while I'm going through this, is I'm going to invite you to type in the chat. Um, I would love to hear how you know Jesus loves you. For those of you who already know God, who already have a relationship with Christ, um, type in the chat, uh, and we'll kind of come back to them. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna hang out here, but I would love to hear how you know Jesus loves you. Um, I know for me, there have there have been a whole bunch, and I'm not gonna get into them now. But God has shown me miracle after miracle that He didn't have to, but He has shown me miracles that were absolutely mind blowing. Um, he gave me a wife that was a perfect a perfect match for who I am. Um, absolutely unbelievable. And who would stick with me, even though I am a difficult person to stick with. Um, he has shown me mercy after mercy after mercy. I can't tell you how many times I have messed up. I can't tell you how messed up I was before Christ. And I can't tell you how many times I've messed up after knowing Christ. But I have received mercy for so many things that I did not deserve mercy for. Um, that there's no way for me to not feel his love when he does those things. Um, so I would love to hear, uh, yeah, uh, somebody said he died for us. Yeah, that's definitely a way that you, we can see, uh, that Jesus loves us. Right. Okay. So <clears throat> I also want us to notice here that we are not talking about faith here when, when it says that. Um, we're talking about the mechanism by which we are saved. Okay. And we're going to get into that in a second, but I want to make sure that, that we're really clear here. We're not talking about faith in God generically or even God, the father specifically, because if belief in a God were what it took to get to heaven, then Hindus and Mormons and pagans, any, anybody who believed in a God could have access to heaven. And, and that's not the case. Um, if it were belief in God the Father specifically, that would mean that the Jews would be saved. And Nicodemus, the person who's in this story, simply by believing, because we know that Nicodemus believed in God the Father. <laughs> And yet Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, at the moment, you're not, because you haven't been born again yet, you don't have access to heaven yet. So belief in God the Father even will not save you, okay? Um, if it did, there would be no, no reason to send his son. There would be no reason for Jesus to die if belief in God the Father could get you to heaven. All right, so that's really, really important. Um, that is one of the most widespread uh, deceptions. I, I can't think of a better word for it. One of the most widespread deceptions 
that Satan has infiltrated this world with is that all paths lead to heaven, all paths lead to God, that somehow um, we all are worshiping the same God and that we all end up in the same place. Well, that is absolutely positively contrary to the word of God. And remember I said earlier, God made it really clear. Either I'm right or you're right. And it ain't you who's right. Right? If you disagree with God, if anyone disagrees with God, they're not right. He's God. Okay? So, uh, salvation comes through faith in Jesus alone. And that's really, really important. Um, Because, again, all those people whom we love, I have have, uh, people whom I love who believe in other gods. And I would, I mean, part of me would love for that to be true, that they would get to heaven anyways. Um, But sadly, that's not true. And so they need to hear about Jesus. That's it's as simple as it gets. All right. So, so salvation comes through faith in Jesus alone. And here God is through Jesus helping us understand the mechanism by which we can be saved. This is really important, right? Because that's that's what we want to know, isn't it? How do I get to heaven? Uh, that's what that's what Nicodemus wanted to know. That's um, I was just studying in. Uh, in another passage, and, and one of the other Pharisees asked Jesus exactly the same question, how do I get to heaven? This is an important question. So here, Jesus is explaining the mechanism for us to be saved, and he said, it's this thing we call faith, which simply means belief, right? Depending on what, what translation you have, that word, it may say believes, it may say have faith in, those two things are the same, Okay. When we have faith, we believe. And and so here's the belief that Jesus is speaking of. That Jesus really is God, and he died for you, taking the punishment for and forgiving you of your sin, then you'll be saved. It is that simple, okay? Um. So taking this in the context of other scripture, you first believe, and then you confess with your mouth. You say, hey, I believe in Jesus. I believe he really is God. He really saved me from my sins. Now, that salvation will then compel you to get baptized and then to love others and bear fruit. But it's, but it's important to understand, baptism does not save you. Bearing fruit, in other words, doing good deeds, does not save you. It's the belief in Jesus that saves you. Now, I know I've had a lot of conversations about this recently. Um, Belief does not necessarily preclude all lack of understanding. Let me explain what I mean. Um, I believe that there is a country called Russia, and I believe that it exists, okay? Now, I can't necessarily prove it to you from where I'm sitting. I've never been to Russia. Um, I've heard people tell me that they've been there, and um, I've listened to the testimony of others, in other words. I've read books about Russia. Um, I've seen videos of people who claim to be in Russia, but I've never been there. 
but I believe it exists. Now, I may not be able to prove it, and, and there might, it's possible that the whole thing was a big cover-up and there really is no such thing as Russia. But I believe that there is. You don't have to be completely devoid of doubt in all things biblical to believe in Jesus. And I hope that makes sense. I'm trying to say that in a way that would make sense for you. So I hope that's true. Now that you understand what I'm trying to say, I hope I convey that in a way that made it uh, understandable. All right, uh, let's see. Hang on for a second. We've got, uh, okay, good. So uh, I know Jesus loves me because he pursued a relationship with me even when I wasn't concerned with having a relationship with him. Wow, I understand that one completely. Um, I am in the same boat. Um, not only did I not, pursue a relationship with him, quite frankly, I was antagonistic. And yet he still pursued me. That's, wow, what a great example. Um, so uh, I have somebody else who says being here at the same time that they met somebody who's very, very, being in, in university at the same time as someone uh, whom they love and that they are connected to. That's, that's a cool example of how Jesus loves you. That's very cool. Not to mention you get super high brownie points with your girlfriend when you say something like that. That's awesome. Um, all right. I want to, I, I do want to, uh, I want to reread verses 19 through 21. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds are evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Now, here is the question that I want to ask you. What's happening in your life that you're keeping hidden in the darkness? because I'm pretty confident there's something. This is something we all struggle with. Whenever we have sin in our lives that we're not confessing, that we're not bringing out in the light, we're hiding it in the darkness. So for those of you who that question spoke to, because that question doesn't come from me, and that question comes right out of scripture right here. I believe Jesus is asking you, what are you doing that you're keeping in the darkness? And more importantly, what are you going to do about it? Because the hard answer is that the truth somehow needs to come into the light. How is that going to work for you? I know one of the hardest passages in scripture, and it's not, it's not what we're reading right now, is that we need to confess our sins to one another. In the book of Acts, it talks about that extensively, that when we sin, we're supposed to, so me, for example, I'm a man, I should have a Christian brother with whom I can trust that I can share my sins with and say, man, I am struggling, this is what I have done, and I've asked forgiveness, would you pray for me, and have a conversation about how we're falling short. That's not easy, but it is amazing how we are set free 
from our sin, not just when we ask God for forgiveness and he forgiveness forgives us, which of course he does, but then when we go to someone and confess what we've done, it's like whatever was left on your shoulders is lifted. And quite frankly, in so many ways, it's encouraging to the person that you're talking to because there's a good chance that they struggle with that sin as well. And so I'm wondering, do you have someone in your life? And by the way, it shouldn't be your boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse. That's not necessarily a good idea. It should be someone who's your gender that will keep confidence, whom you can trust. And if you don't have an accountability partner like that, um, I want you to pray about that because it will make all the difference in the world for you as you can work through getting that junk that's in the darkness out on the table and into the light. I promise it will make a difference. All right. So I want to, I want to challenge you here a little bit as we close up this scripture for tonight. I want to kind of revert back to the beginning because Nicodemus was really struggling um, with this saying, this whole being born again thing. Um, and he, he, he was having trouble believing it. He was having trouble processing it. And so I'm wondering, what is it that's in the word of God that's hard for you to believe? Um, you'll see a picture of the ark there. Is the idea that God somehow got all these animals to, to, to walk into a boat that Noah built, Noah and his family built over the course of like a hundred years. And then there was a flood that covered the whole earth. Is that something that's hard for you to believe? Um, is it hard for you to believe that people, I just recently had uh, somebody tell me uh, this whole idea that uh, someone lives for 900 years. He said that, that, that just seems crazy to me. He was having trouble believing that people could live that long. Now, ironically, if, if you lived uh, at certain periods in, in history, uh, the life expectancy was like 30 years. So today's 120 would seem pretty crazy too. But still, is people living for 900 years something that you struggle with? Is a man living inside of a fish for three days like Jonah did? Is that something that you struggle with? Is Jesus being resurrected from the dead something that you are having trouble getting your head around? Like I said, we just read about Nicodemus, and he couldn't understand how someone could be born again. Uh, he just couldn't quite figure that out, at least not at this moment. Although, I'll let the cat out of the bag a little bit. He would figure it out. but. Jesus explains that Nicodemus didn't understand what he was looking at, what he was hearing from Jesus, because he was looking at it through his natural eyes, his flesh. And Jesus said, hey, what's born of flesh is flesh, and what's born of spirit is spirit. So I'm wondering, is it possible that you're in the same place as Nicodemus? Is it possible that the real stumbling block you have in understanding some of the things in the Bible is that you're looking at them in the natural, through your fleshly eyes, when you need to look at them in the super natural? Because our God is super. He is all-powerful. Um, what is impossible for us 
he can do with no problem at all. And so you might want to start there. Do you believe God is all-powerful? Did he really create the heavens and the earth? Did he really breathe out stars? Because I think if you wrap your head around that, I don't think the rest of it will be a problem. But this is really, I think, the most important question of all. And according to John 3.16, I believe Jesus would agree. Do you believe that Jesus is God? Do you believe that he died on that cross for your sins and that he is the only way for you to be saved? And if you do, are you telling people that message? So what are your next steps? For some of you, you are born again, and you have a solid relationship with Jesus. Um, it, for you, it may be time simply to, to start sharing this message, to start sharing John 3.16 in a more intentional way with those who so desperately need to hear the good news. You don't have to turn the TV on for 30 seconds to open any internet browser, to open, in, you don't have to more than walk outside and talk to one or two people without immediately realizing people desperately need to hear about Jesus. For some of you, um, you've been born again, but you've been wrestling with God over something. And that's kind of what I've been getting at for kind of like Nicodemus. He was wrestling with Jesus. Is it time for you to bring everything into the light and deal with whatever you're wrestling with once and for all? Um, I'll, I'll let you know, many, many believers have wrestled with God. Even Jacob wrestled with God. Confusion is not a sin, but disobedience is. So deal with this now. Um, I, will, I will let you in on a little secret if you're going to wrestle with God. Just so you know, God's going to win the wrestling match. All right? Um, Jacob found out the hard way and ended up with a limp. All right? So don't let your situation get to that point. If you've got something that you're struggling with with God, deal with it now. For some of you, you're in Nicodemus' shoes. You're not yet born again. Uh, and, I, and I love this. A good friend of mine recently said, we have a choice. We can be born once and die twice, or we can be born twice and die once. You see, all of us were born of flesh, every single one of us. And if we are not born again, we will not only die a physical death, but we will also die a spiritual death forever separated from God. But if we're born again, if we are born a second time, then we will die a physical death. But our spirit will never, ever die. So make the right choice. Choose life. Jesus wants you with him for eternity. All right. 
So this Thursday at 11 a.m. here in here in the Rockwall area, Rockwall, Texas, just outside Dallas, um, we are going to go out and be looking for persons of peace. Um, it looks like there's going to be at least three of us, maybe four of us this week. This would be a great time to join us uh, and engage with us, even if it's from where you are, even if you're in another state or another city and can't physically get here, we would love to have you on our prayer team. Um, if you can come and aren't quite ready yet to, to walk up to a stranger and, and talk about Jesus, and, and by the way, it doesn't usually work exactly like that, but we'll get into that later. Um, but if you will just come with us and pray with us and pray for the people we're talking to, pray for us, um, it would be a blessing for those who need to hear about Jesus and for those of us who really, really want to share Jesus. And uh, <clears throat> also, uh, last week we had um, many of you put in the chat names of people who do not yet know Jesus. First names only, please. Just, you know, if, if Bob Smith uh, needs to hear about Jesus, just put Bob. Um, but if you will put names in the chat, uh, if you've already put names last week, we have them recorded. We are praying for them. Um, but if you didn't do that last week, we would love for you to go to the chat, put in the first name of someone who, um, who needs to know about Jesus, and we'll be praying for them. So um, I'm going to close this, and then I want to talk to you again for just a moment. Lord, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for recording this conversation between between you and Nicodemus. Thank you for helping him to understand exactly who you were. I thank you that you have so clearly explained to us how we can have eternity with you. And that we don't have to do anything to get there. That in fact, we can't do anything. We could never do enough to earn heaven. But Jesus, who was perfect, is our substitution, and he is our way to heaven. So, Lord, I thank you, not just for our salvation, but for how you prepare us to do good things while we're here and how we can, how we can live lives of significance and importance and meaning and purpose to get up in the morning and realize, I have work to do today for the king, not just a king, but the king, the king of kings. Lord, it's, it's an unbelievable, unfathomable privilege that those of us who know you have. I pray that every morning we would wake up with that realization, regardless of who we were before we knew your son. We are now royal ambassadors to the king of kings. Lord, I thank you. I praise you, and I ask for your guidance for all of us as we do your work this week. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So one last thing. I want to just let you know that um, next week's going to be a, a really interesting story. So I want you to imagine for a moment that you're starting a ministry. You have decided that you are going to have a ministry in your life, and you're going to go do it. And then you find out that your biggest competitor, your direct competitor, is Jesus 
himself. Well, we're gonna we're gonna learn about a situation where Jesus uh, is somebody's competitor in ministry and see how that worked out for everybody. So I don't want you to miss that. We thank you so much for being with us tonight. We love you. Again, contact us through the website or through the text chat. We would we. Oh yeah, we uh, we have the call to ask action questions. If this has spurred you to maybe dig a little deeper, um, go to the website, uh, grab the message guide. You can do the call to action questions. And of course, if you have questions or need help, you may say, hey, this is something I wanna do. I'm not quite sure where to start or how to do it. Contact me. I would love to help you along the way. We love you. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye.